0: Welcome to China In Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. Our top story, a 13-year flow of U.S. technology to Iran, takes a hit. U.S. authorities charging four Chinese nationals for allegedly smuggling American parts to sanction Iranian entities. Could a recent CBS News article land the company in legal trouble? A U.S. lawmaker is accusing it of aiding Chinese propaganda, violating the truth and a potential breach of U.S. sanctions. A warning to automakers like Tesla from a major human rights group. It's reminding carmakers to keep materials tied to forced labor out of their supply chains when it comes to building cars inside China. And how is Washington preparing for a potential invasion of Taiwan? A closer look at how a round of critical military drills help arm Australia and the Pacific region against Beijing's threat. A huge amount of U.S. technology allegedly went to supporting Iran. The Justice Department charged four Chinese nationals Tuesday. That's over allegedly smuggling U.S.-made electronic parts to sanction Iranian entities. These parts could be used for making ballistic missiles and drones. Iran is a state sponsor of terrorism, and Washington has slapped economic sanctions on the nation, aiming to cripple the Iranian regime. But Iran has close relations with Beijing. China has risen as Iran's biggest oil and trading partner. It has also helped Iran with its technological development. The indictment represents the latest effort by U.S. authorities to counter Chinese threats on U.S. soil. Back in October, FBI Director Chris Wray warned about Beijing's active attempts to steal American intellectual property and bring it back to China and other foreign adversaries. Over the last several years, the agency has seen a 1,300 percent increase in economic espionage cases with links to China. Back to the indictment of the Chinese nationals, authorities said the defendants used front companies in China and Hong Kong to funnel the flow. And the effort lasted at least 13 years, from 2007 to 2020. If convicted, they face up to 35 years in prison. The DOJ has issued arrest warrants, though the suspects currently live in China. To discuss more about concerns of smuggling sensitive U.S. technology to Iran's military, we sat down with Andrew Thornbrook, national security correspondent for the Epic Times. Andrew Thornbrook, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Tiffany. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, the Justice Department has charged four Chinese nationals on Tuesday. This is for allegedly smuggling U.S.-made electronic parts to sanction Iranian entities. Now, the concern is that these parts could be used for making ballistic missiles and drones. How concerning is all of this?
1: This is one instance in which we have numerous individuals who, over the course of more than a decade, essentially exploited uh, loopholes in the U.S. Uh, export regime to take sensitive technologies out of the U.S. into China, where they then forward them to Iran. Um, This is not the first time. So even just last year, we also had another similar case with uh, parts being exported for potential use in weapons of mass destruction in Iran. Uh, So this is an ongoing issue, and it is quite concerning.
0: On that note, the indictment said that the defendants used front companies in China and Hong Kong to then funnel the flow and that the effort lasted at least 13 years. So given that time frame, why did it take this long to discover it? And how does that bespeak of the differences between, say, the U.S. and China when it comes to handling cases like this?
1: So there's always the question of how long was the fact finding and evidence building taking? It's, It's unclear. How long we knew exactly that these were actually ending up in Iran, for example, uh, but but yeah, it's quite concerning. There's other cases similar, like the one I just spoke of with uh, the WMDs last year, that also went on for decades. That one goes back to the 90s, and so these have spanned multiple administrations uh, in the United States. They've spanned multiple leaders in both Iran and China. Um, so it's something that we have to really be focused on and and trying to curb right now.
0: And how does all of this fit into the new axis of evil that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was speaking of last year?
1: You know, I think we this has been on our radar for some time, right? We've been sort of dealing with this concept of the new axis with China, Iran, North Korea and Russia for probably 20 years now. And uh, this is something that we're going to have to look out for, right? We just had uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, for example, testify before Congress that um, Iran and China are explicitly coordinating for the purpose of undermining the U.S. and for stretching our resources then. So really, the question now is going to become, I think, uh, why were these technologies allowed to be exported to China in the first place? You know, why? Why is it the case that we were allowing such a sensitive technology to flow to the Chinese Communist Party, but only got upset about it when it went from there to Iran?
0: Andrew Thornbrook, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Tiffany. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Next, Senator Marco Rubio is accusing news agency CBS of spreading Beijing's propaganda tied to the Uyghur ethnic group. The publication describes the Xinjiang region as a happy home for the Uyghurs. He says the article aids the Chinese Communist Party's effort to, quote, obscure the truth. In a letter from the senator to a CBS News executive on Wednesday, he said, quote, CBS News chose to work with the propaganda department of a genocidal political party by publishing a puff piece that does more to obscure the truth rather than expose it. CBS News crews were invited to visit Xinjiang, where most Chinese Uyghurs live. The trip was organized by a Chinese information office, which many believe functions as a propaganda arm of the communist regime. The article CBS later published denies many reports that detail Beijing's suppression of the Uyghurs. As for why, CBS said its American news workers did not witness that suppression. Communist China faces multiple accusations linked to the Uyghurs on the world stage, including genocide, forced labor, and forced abandonment of ethnic culture and religion. Zooming out, Senator Rubio also warned that the process of creating the CBS story might have violated U.S. sanctions. That's by working with restricted Chinese state-run entities. The article, titled The Rebranding of Xinjiang by Elizabeth Palmer, was published early January. And he reached out to CBS for comment but did not hear back before airtime. Human Rights Watch releasing a warning for automakers with operations in China, urging them to make sure that materials involving forced labor are kept out of their supply chain. The automakers that were called out, Tesla, Volkswagen and BYD. The human rights group said it found evidence that aluminum producers in Xinjiang hired workers from state-backed labor transfer programs. China uses aluminum produced in Xinjiang to manufacture automotive parts. Those parts then get sold to car makers around the world. The companies are responsible under United Nations principles to ensure forced labor is not used in their supply chains. Xinjiang is China's number 2 region for aluminum production. Volkswagen told Reuters that it takes a firm stance against forced labor and immediately investigated any allegations. Tesla did not respond to a query from Reuters. Toyota said it would closely review the Human Rights Watch report and that it expected suppliers to respect human rights. Tensions are rising between the U.S. and China as the potential for a Beijing invasion of Taiwan looms. How is Washington preparing for possible war? Here's a closer look. NTD's Dave Martin has the story.
2: Rewind to August 2023. A round of high-profile military drills between the U.S. and Australia were in full swing, called the Talisman Sabre Exercises. They practiced amphibious landings, ground combat, and air operations. But besides deepening cooperation, they also held a discrete value. U.S. officials told Reuters that the drills created new stockpiles of military equipment that were left behind in Australia after the drills ended. It included roughly 330 vehicles and trailers and 130 containers in warehouses in southeastern Australia. That gear would prove enough to supply about three logistics companies with as many as 500 or more soldiers and could power a future drill, a natural disaster, or aid at war. The Pacific region would be one of the greatest choke points and potential vulnerabilities if conflict broke out over Taiwan. The move falls in line with efforts to shore up possible weak points and boost Western preparedness.
0: Is Taiwan bracing for potential division of its highest political power? President-elect William Lai is known for being tough on Beijing, but Taiwan's legislature elected a new speaker who's accused of being pro-Beijing. The speaker, Han Guoyu, denies the allegations. He's from the island's largest opposition party, the Kuomintang. He would be responsible for hosting visiting foreign lawmakers. Even though DPP secured a historic third term by William Lai's win, it lost its majority in the parliament. Some in Taiwan expressed concerns about a potential divisive government. If
2: the Legislative Yen becomes a place where the Kuomintang controls the majority and holds the power of the president of the Legislative Yen, Doesn't that mean that our voices will be silenced again? The
0: legislative Yuan is Taiwan's parliament. 2024 could mark a lot of uncertainties for Taiwan. It just elected a new president, a man that Beijing threatened would bring the island closer to war. Taiwan's biggest backer, the U.S., will also choose its leader this year. How will the next man in the Oval Office drive three-way relations between the U.S., China and Taiwan?
1: I think if Biden's re-elected, you'll see a lot of continuity. Uh, he's been fairly strong in signaling support for Taiwan, and I think that will probably continue. With Trump, who knows? I mean, I think uh, one cannot easily project from a Trump first term to a Trump second term. I think it could be different in some way.
0: Taiwan's president-elect William Lai pledged to work closely with the U.S. and bolster Taiwan's defenses while on the campaign trail. Beijing claims Taiwan as part of China, despite never having ruled it. The U.S. is bound by law to sell arms to Taiwan so that it can defend itself. The power gap between the two sides is growing. China's defense budget stands at over $200 billion, 11 times that of Taiwan. Beijing also has over 2 million active duty service members. Taiwan, 180,000. What's more, China has been expanding its nuclear arsenal. Taiwan does not have nuclear weapons. Bonnie Lin, director of the China Power Project, argues the U.S. should do more to make sure Taiwan can defend itself, taking that widening power gap into account. Speaking at a panel hosted by Taipei Economic and Cultural Office Tuesday, she cautioned it's a judgment every U.S. administration has to make about how much more Washington can do without triggering a major reaction from Beijing. She also added that after speaking to leading Taiwanese experts...
3: They're also more concerned of China using a variety of non-military means to coerce Taiwan.
0: Another expert cautioned that the U.S. should shore up a vulnerability in its own military posture.
2: China has developed missiles and uh, submarines and so forth that have a possible ability to sink American aircraft carriers or with missiles to hit American air bases even as far away as Guam but also those bases in Japan. So the United States is is in that sense vulnerable to Chinese attack.
0: He noted the U.S. military needs to disperse its forces to more locations instead of relying too much on concentrated areas of force. Coming up, Philippine submarines could soon dive into the disputed waters of the South China Sea, the country planning its first ever submarine purchase to counter Chinese aggression. A Hong Kong court has convicted four people of rioting charges during a pro-democracy movement in 2019. What happened that year? More on the events behind the so-called crimes. And a candid conversation with a prominent human rights advocate, dishing out some strong words about China. Well, China's the worst in the world. And after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A major shift in the Philippines' defense strategy, President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. has given the green light for the country's first submarine purchase. A move seeks to defend the nation's maritime sovereignty in the disputed South China Sea. And there's more. The country's Navy spokesperson on Thursday said the plan was to acquire, quote, definitely more than one. Interested suppliers include France, Spain, Korea and Italy. The potential purchase is part of Philippines' modernization plan, estimated to cost over $35 billion. Manila refers to the part of the South China Sea within its exclusive economic zone as the West Philippines Sea. China claims most of the hotly contested water as its own. An international tribunal invalidated that claim in 2016. Four Hong Kongers found guilty of rioting after protesters stormed the city's legislature in 2019. The event was part of a pro-democracy movement, which posed an unprecedented challenge to Beijing that year, eventually leading to the imposition of a sweeping national security law to suppress dissent. Here's more.
4: (laughs) A Hong Kong court on Thursday found four people guilty of rioting after the city's legislature was stormed during pro-democracy protests in 2019. They include actor Gregory Wong, seen here arriving at the courthouse this morning. Hundreds of protesters besieged Hong Kong's Legislative Council building on July 1, 2019, the anniversary day of the city's handover from Britain's colonial rule to China. It followed a protest march against a proposed extradition bill that would have allowed authorities to send individuals to face trial in mainland China. During the trial, Wang said he was there solely to deliver charges to journalists who were covering the break-in. Video evidence played by the prosecution showed him leaving the chamber immediately after handing charges to a reporter. But the judge said on Thursday, Wong could have met the reporter outside the building and pointed out that he took into account the actor's celebrity status, saying, quote, with his fame, he could attract the attention of demonstrators so as to promote, assist or encourage the riots. Among the four convicted of rioting, one man was additionally found guilty of criminal damage, while two reporters were acquitted of rioting but found guilty of unlawfully entering or staying in the building. The verdict comes after eight others had already pleaded guilty to charges over the break-in. Sentencing will take place later. Those convicted of rioting face up to seven years in prison.
0: Hong Kong authorities arrested more than 10,000 people in its efforts to squash the 2019 pro-democracy protests. The huge protests first erupted over a piece of legislation that threatened to allow criminal suspects to be sent to mainland China for trial. Britain returned Hong Kong to Chinese rule in 1997, but under one condition, that the financial hub could keep its wide-ranging autonomy and judicial independence, something not seen in mainland China. Critics say that promise has since been eviscerated. On Capitol Hill, lawmakers are zooming in on the Chinese Communist Party's human rights violations across all demographies. The Thursday hearing comes after a review by the United Nations, where member countries questioned Beijing's compliance with international human rights law. NTD's Sam Wong has the details.
5: I'm holding up an image that shows many current political prisoners in China. My heart aches terribly every time I see this picture. The woman speaking is Sophie Luo, wife of the prominent Chinese human rights attorney Ding Jiaxi. Like those on the picture, Ding is one of the many people who were detained for railing against the communist state. Last year, Chinese authorities handed him a 12-year prison sentence. His wife now lives in the U.S., but she told me she hasn't heard from her husband for a month. I know my husband. The moment he settled down in the jail, he will write to me, write letters to me. But right now, I didn't receive any letter for, for almost three months. The last letter I received from my husband is October 10th. It's uh, through the lawyer. I never be able to directly communicate my husband. Congressman Chris Smith is the chairman of the Congressional Executive Commission on China. In Thursday's hearing, he detailed Beijing's forced organ harvesting against prisoners of conscience. The victims include Falun Gong practitioners and many others. One of our doctors who testified said somebody was in shock, uh, and and that person, as he was taking out the organs, started moving around because he was feeling uh, the knife. Last month, Beijing's human rights violations were under public scrutiny by a review body at the UN Human Rights Council. Congressman Chris Smith told me China had once again, quote, gamed the system. And what they do against the Falun Gong, what they do against the Uyghurs, you know, they say there's no genocide. This proved that even in what should have been a transparent Human Rights Council meeting, um, they did everything they can to suppress the truth. Lawmakers, along with the witnesses, urged world leaders to raise human rights during meetings with top CCP officials. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Sam Wong, NTD News.
0: Strong words from a prominent human rights advocate, saying, quote, China's the worst in the world. Dr. Katrina Lantos-Sweat, president of the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice, sat down with NTD's Steve Lance to shed light on human rights issues coming from the country.
5: This discussion, I think we can't go without talking about uh, China and the Chinese Communist Party. They're the centerpiece of uh, some of the most horrific uh, human rights abuses. Um, what, what are some of your concerns coming out of China?
3: Well, China's the worst in the world. Let me just say it. They are the worst in the world because they attack and suppress more faith communities than any other country. And because China is so big and because they get away with so much, they think they will get away with this. And we cannot let them do so. Obviously, their longstanding persecution, there's no other word for it, of the Falun Gong community, um, they have engaged in what is one of the most sickening and appalling human rights abuses, forced organ harvesting against Falun Gong practitioners who are, are imprisoned solely as prisoners of conscience for no other reason, and then have their organs harvested. It is so sickening. Someone once described it as a crime too horrible to be true, but it's true. It's true, and we must not be fooled by China's claims that they have reformed and that this practice has ended, because we know that they set up a a voluntary organ donation registry, as most countries have, but they have very, very few people who have signed up for it, and yet foreign visitors come to China for organ transplants and somehow, within a few days or weeks, organs are available, whereas here in the United States, where we have a much larger percentage of the population that are organ donors, waiting patients can wait years before an organ becomes available. Well, you know what I'd say? We're not stupid. We can connect the dots. So. China, you know, of course, the mass imprisonment and genocide directed at the Uyghur people also now becoming victims of forced organ harvesting. The ongoing suppression of, of the Christian community, the house church movement, um, yeah. Tibetan Buddhists. China is, you know, when you think in terms of size and scope of the ways in which religious freedom is repressed, China, sadly, takes first place.